Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says this, therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, and he says this, work out your, your neighbor's salvation. Work out, work out your coworker's salvation. Work out your spouse's salvation, right? Work out your pastor's salvation. No, don't do it. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So here he is, chapter one, he's talking about the God of process. Chapter two, he's talking about how God uses process. Then he says it in chapter three again, verses 12 through 14. He says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So last week we established that God is a God of process, that he's a God, he's a God of process. Today, as we continue on in our series, In Process, I want to speak to you from the subject, trust the process. Trust the process. As we deal with learning to trust God and the processes that he uses in our lives. We pray with me just one more time this morning. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for the gift of your word for our lives. We know that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And I just thank you for every person sitting in this building this morning. The church is not the four walls, it is not this stage, it is not the carpet or the chairs. It's us, your people. God, when we come together, your word says that we're two or more gathered. You are in their midst, and so we know that your presence is here right now. And so in your presence, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would change us, you would challenge us, you would convict us, you would make us better, God. And we know that where your presence is, there is freedom, and who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so we ask you that this, the rest of this service, this moment, we would walk out of here freer than how we came in, in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Anybody play sports as a as a Junior higher, high schooler, small kid. Come on, all the, put your hands up. It's all right, not a trick question. It's all right. Okay, most of us in here. This is the athletic service, right? We know 1130 won't be. That's why they're coming in at 1130. So I'm just, I'm just playing. And 5 p.m. Ah. Um, I, sw- I swam in high school. I didn't play football. I didn't play basketball. I swam, hence the thighs. And so... Um, <laughs> I loved, I loved swimming. I, I got into swimming. What happened was, is I actually tried out for diving when I was in ninth grade. And uh, the coach came over to me and he goes, so, so two things. One, you're not good at diving. Um, this is what a coach is for. And two, we watched you swim to the side as you, were, as you got done with your dive. We think that you should swim. And I was like, all right, I can get down with that. So he kind of sandwiched positive, negative there, right? And so I decided ninth grade year that I was going to swim, and man, I was awesome. Um, I was good, and I couldn't believe that. And we can say that, like if you're good at athletics or something, it's like it's okay to say that and not be arrogant. I was good at what I did. As As a freshman, I made it to state competition that year as a freshman. I was able to join uh, relay teams that only had juniors and seniors on the relay team, and I, I, was, I was pretty fast. Um, I swam the butterfly, so that was a little bit, uh, that was a harder stroke for me to get down, and, uh, and I did really good, made state in, in the 100 fly my freshman year. Yeah, I'm just bragging right now to help me feel good, because um, I looked nothing like I did in high school. <laughs> but there was this week. Maybe you'd know about this. I think every sport in junior high and high school has this week, or actually it was two weeks. Uh, we call it Hell Week. 
Come on, any of the sports people know what I'm talking about. Or hell weeks in, in, in this case. And this was arguably the, the, the worst two weeks of the season for me. The first weekend, I would feel like I didn't know how to swim anymore. You ever been there? Whether you played football or basketball, the coach is just running you, and you're just going, going, going. And by the time I got to the first week, I felt like I'd forgotten how to swim. My arms wouldn't move. My legs wouldn't move. I hated the coach. I hated the others on the team. It was, it was hell week, and it would go one week, and then it would go into the, the second week. And during those weeks, I didn't know what I was doing. I would question whether or not I should actually be there anymore. And I'll never forget a conversation that I had with my coach at the beginning of my junior year of swimming. A conversation, mind you, that I knew was gonna come every single year. Hell week was every single year, freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. It, it, was, it was coming, I knew it was coming, but like many of us, how many of you know when you know that it's coming, you still hate it? It puzzles me. We say we're gonna prepare for it, but then we, we still hate it. And so this conversation that I've never forgotten happened with my coach. And as I questioned his tactics, and as I stomped and pleaded my case with him, as I lamented my feelings and my pain, he looked at me straight in the eye, and with a calm and collected measure of authority and strength, he'd say this, Jason, just trust the process. You ever been there before? He said, Jason, just, just trust the process. And that year, my junior year, I would make state again that year. I'd find myself on the senior relay team. I'd be nominated and chosen to be team captain moving into my senior year. And to say that was an amazing year for me in my athletics in high school would be an understatement. And it was all undergirded by this, this thought, this statement that my coach would make, trust the process. Let me turn to your neighbor this morning and say, trust the process. Everybody turn to your other neighbor and say, don't tell me what to do. See, I believe that for many of us in here today, this is the same statement that Jesus is wanting us to hear. Come on, somebody, trust the process. And the problem is that many of us, if not most of us, we don't want it. And I think the reason that we don't want to is we don't understand the process. Would that be a fair, fair statement, fair assessment? I think for the, the reason that most of us don't want to trust the process is because we don't understand the process. Or we just simply hate the process. Hell week, I hated it. I didn't care he said trust the process, but I hated the process. I hated swimming all of those laps and doing it over and over and over again. And I just wanted to work on what I wanted to work on. I didn't want to work on what coach wanted me to work on. I wanted to do it my way and what felt good and what was easier for me. It was easier for me. I remember my coach gave me a board one day, these little round boards. And he put fin, we put fins on. And he goes, today we're going to work on your butterfly kick. That's it. I don't want you to use your arms at all today. And I was like, can I use my arms to punch you? <laughs> he don't want me to use my arms at all. And I spent the entire practice just kicking like a dolphin. <laughs> and I hated him for it. But man, when I did what he asked me to do and I trusted the process, I got strong. I didn't like the process. I didn't like having to just kick. Don't use your arm. Just kick. Because he was trying to build me in such a way that by the time I got to the end of the season, I would be ready for what he knew the potential was for my season. 
He said, if we can get you strong in these areas, by the time you get to the end of the season, by the time you accomplish what it is that I believe you're going to accomplish, you're gonna be strong enough to compete at that level. You're gonna be strong enough to do what it is that I know you're capable of, trust the process. And I think for many of us this morning, we need to understand that God knows the potential. Doesn't just see it, but he knows the potential in us. He knows what he has for you. So he's saying, trust the process. I'm trying to build you. I'm trying to strengthen you. I'm trying to work some stuff out in you for when you get to the point that I know that I have for you, you're gonna be strong enough to do it. Trust the process. So to trust the process, I feel like we got to understand what the process is. But we also have to understand that not all processes are created equal. And many times, the ones that God employs in our lives to do his greatest and deepest work in us, well, they're seen by us as intrusive, cruel, time-consuming, unnecessary, unwarranted, unwanted, and stupid. And usually we just get to stupid when we're frustrated. <laughs> Come on, how many of you, I'm just, this is stupid, stupid. So if we're gonna trust the process, we need to have a basic understanding of what that process is. And I'm gonna look at some processes this morning, four different types that God uses to develop us in four significant areas of our lives. And these are not topical in nature. They're related to some of the topics that we'll get into over the next few weeks, but this is more of like a 30,000 foot view when it comes to the type of process that God uses in our lives. You ready for that this morning? Can we do that? I need your help every shot number one. First one is this. Forward process is used to develop our faith for the future. Forward process is used to develop our faith for the future. Job 17.9, Job 17.9 says this, yet the righteous person will hold to his way and the one whose hands are clean will grow stronger. I love it from the New, uh, New Living Translation. I think it says it a lot clearer for us to understand and I, and I love this statement right here. The righteous keep moving forward and those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. Franz Delicic, something like that. <laughs> Delich, there it is. Franz Delich. He was a German Lutheran theologian and Hebraist, said of this moment in the life of Job and this statement that Job would make. He said, These words of Job are like a rocket which shoots above the tragic darkness of the book, lighting it up suddenly, although for a short time. Now, if you've read the book of Job, well, it sucks. <laughs> it's in the Hebrew, okay? It's not fun to read. It, it, it's about a dude who really just loses everything. Everything goes. His kids die. His friends leave him. He's struck with disease and heartache and pain. And I would argue that none of us have ever experienced what Job's experienced. And it's in this moment, 17 chapters into Job, that he makes this statement in the midst of this dark process, in the midst of what felt hard, in the midst of tragic amounts of pain. He said, the righteous keep moving forward. And there is a process that God uses in our lives that many times we actually fight against. It's called moving forward. And what's interesting to me is that the human psyche, and especially the American human psyche, we are all about forward progress. Can I tell you that forward progress and forward process are two different things? Here's why. Forward progress is positive in nature. 
right? I'm succeeding. We see that as forward progress. Forward process, on the other hand, is God saying, listen, there may be some things in your life that is happening right now that you don't like, but I don't want you to get stuck there. I need you to take steps forward. It is a process, and you may have pain on your shoulders, but keep moving forward. You may have pain in your body, but keep moving forward. And when we do this, it develops our faith for the future. The righteous keep moving forward. See, Job was significantly hurt, broken, frustrated, great lack, yet he'd make this statement. I wonder if we can make that statement this morning. The righteous keep moving forward. You know, there are many times that God asks us to keep moving forward in faith. Here's why. So we don't get stuck in frustration. See, God uses forward process to develop our faith for the future. And some of us need to hear this today. Keep moving forward, keep going, keep pressing, as Paul would say, toward the upward call of Christ in our lives. And sometimes, even when things don't look the way that we want them to, we have to keep moving forward. We have to keep moving forward. Because many times, if we're honest, we just want to sit in it, don't we? We just want to, we just want to, You ever been there before? Yeah. Just want to sit here. Everything, everything's horrible. Uh. Got these bad feelings. Uh. And we just we, we we stand here and God's like trying to go like like pick yourself up. The righteous keep moving forward. Why? Not because of what is going on in their life, not because of who they are, but because they understand who God is. And it's amazing to me that Job, in the midst of what is arguably one of the worst lives ever, he makes this statement. Like a rocket ship, above it all, to say, listen, my life is not going, but I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to pick myself up. I, I did this with my daughter the other day, Shiloh. She was like, she was having a tantrum. I've got, a, I've got an eight-year-old going on 18. It's, it's like, what? All the emotion, all the stuff, everything like that. And so I walked over to her, and she was pitching a fit. And, and so I, I put my arms around her, and she's like, I was like, come on, babe. We got we to get going. We got to, like, make this happen. And, and she did. I don't know if you, for parents in here, if your kid has ever done this before, she put her whole body weight into me. She's like, And I'm, like, holding her and, like, dragging her. She's dragging her feet, right? She's just straight out like this dead weight. And for a split second in my mind, I was like, I could drop this girl right now. <laughs> and I would consider myself a good father. <laughs> it's a bleh. Lay in those feelings. <laughs> father, father, why have you forsaken me? Don't put your dead weight on me and I won't forsake you. <laughs> so I had to encourage her. I was like, come on, girl. Like, stop, stop with the pouting. Stop with the whining. We, we got this. You've got this. It's going to be fine. And so I, I have this saying to her when they're all being all grumpy and everything like that. I'm like, I go, smile and your face will crack. My mom used to do it to me and I hated it. Now that became my parents. It's awful. <laughs> but I'll look at her, smile and your face will crack and I'll give her like, a smile. And she can't, like, she, <laughs> she strains so hard to not smile. She's like, I'm like, baby, that's not a good look on you. 
smile and your face look cracked and she's like, and all of a sudden it's like this and then all of a sudden her mood changes and everything like that. I was like, what are we trying, to, what am I trying to do? As a dad, I'm trying to say, hey, let, let faith forward. Come on, let, let, let's look forward to what's going on. Let's not lay here. Let's not put dead weight here. Let's not stay in this place. The righteous keep moving forward no matter what's going on. I gotta keep moving forward. Number two, second process. Shot number two. Second process is this, is that backward process, yeah. Backward process is used to strengthen our resolve in obedience. Okay, so Matthew, I love this one. Matthew chapter three. You have this amazing picture of Jesus coming on the scene getting involved with the humanity, and everything's going on, and then he's, he's baptized. And then verse 17 of chapter three, we read this, and it says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's how we end chapter three. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now check this out. This is probably one of the greatest affirmations you will ever receive in your life. And for Jesus, this is God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. How many of us love affirmation in the house this morning? Come on, let's just be honest. We all love affirmation. We all love attaboys. Good job. We love it when people notice something, that we've done something good. We love it. And if you're saying, no, 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 I don't, you're lying. Because all of us love to be told we've done a good job. And so Jesus, the son of God, receives affirmation right here. The end of chapter three. Watch what happens in chapter four. Verse one, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like everything was good and you're just, yeah, life is awesome. Yes. <laughs> and then literally Tuesday morning came. And you're like, why does it feel like I'm going backwards? You ever been there before? Jesus receives the greatest affirmation he could receive just after his baptism, and then all of a sudden we're led into this moment where he's tempted by the devil, verse two, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, of course. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So then he tempts him with this thing that he desired the most, and he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels order concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it's also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give all of these things if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And after this temptation, the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. Here's the deal. Backwards process is used to strengthen our resolve and obedience. See, we don't like backwards. We've got this right, wrong, bad, good perception on everything. It's black and white. But these processes that we're talking about here, God uses all of them to do something in us. So I don't think they're necessarily right or they're wrong as much as they are. 
So I have forward process at times where it's faith forward. But at other moments, it feels like I'm walking backwards. I'm taking steps backwards. Why? Because God's strengthening my resolve in obedience towards him. When you are going backwards, are you still willing to go forward? That's where obedience comes into play. It's the type of process where we feel like we're moving backwards and Usually we move into this process when it seems like everything's going so well in our lives. It's counter to who we are. See, if we're honest, much of our desire to live obediently to Jesus only comes when things are comfortable and fit within our preferred reality of life. Right? We like that type of obedience. Here's something we all need to understand this morning. Obedience is true obedience when it's tested by that which we are most tempted by. Did you hear that? Say one more time, obedience is true obedience when it is tested by that which we are most tempted by. See, my kids listen to me, generically speaking. <laughs> my kids listen to me. If I ask them to do something and they see the benefit in the request, how many of you know they're easily obedient? Right? They see the benefit, they're like, I'm like, hey, kids, can you come to the kitchen so I can give you a snack? Yes! <laughs> Kids, can you come to the kitchen so I give you a treat? Yes! <laughs> Kids, can you please come to the kitchen and do your dishes? <laughs> come on, can I get a witness in church this morning? See, they're obedient at a generic value. They're obedient to the point of their preference. <laughs> We're going to mess with each other this morning. Are we obedient when the preferred idea and life that we want is counter to the obedience that Jesus is asking of us? So he uses this backward process when it doesn't feel the way that I want it to, when it doesn't look the way that I want it to, will you still be obedient? When I read his word and his commandments and the things in there, and I'm like, oh, I love that one. But I don't like that one. Like, I get don't murder. I don't understand the pride thing. I get don't steal. I can get down with that. But I don't understand forgiveness. I like that one. That one tests me. Because generically speaking, most of us aren't going to steal things. So God's like, hey, I got a blessing for you. Come here. Yep. 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 Got a new job for you. Come here. Yep. 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 Uh-huh. Yep. I got that relationship for you. Yep. 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 We're there. And I'll worship him. <laughs> Thank you for the job and the relationship and the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I need you to forgive that person. <laughs> Come on, we're talking truth in church this morning. <laughs> so God uses backward process to develop a resolve of obedience. Number three, shot number three. It gets worse. <laughs> 
Number three, stationary process is used to anchor our trust in Christ's character. Stationary process is used to anchor our trust in Christ's character. John 15, one through eight says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. So we, first, we, we look at these first few verses and we go, man, Jesus, you're harsh. You remove branches that don't produce fruit and you prune those that do. But notice that the qualifying statement on the backside of those two realities is that when you remain in me, I will help you produce fruit. He's not saying do it on your own. He's not saying that you squeeze hard enough and fruit's gonna come out. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. And there it is, because you can do nothing without me. Stationary process is used to anchor our trust in Christ's character. Stationary process is used as we are encouraged to be still and stay still. And if you're like me, this is probably one of the most complicated and difficult things for me to do. Be still, stay still, be still, stay still. Listen, trust is only truly developed when we are stationary in learning to abide in Christ. To be a branch that's connected to the vine. We all just wanna be branches. Branches running around. Looking like little groots running around. (laughs) Come on, somebody. He's saying, abide in me. Stay connected to me. Be still. This is so hard for us control freaks. And drivers in the house today. Come on, just a therapeutic moment. Where are my control freaks at? Come on, put your hands up. It's all right. There's a lot in this service. (laughs) It's because it's the 10 a.m. service. You've been up since 5.30. (laughs) Making everything. You're like, I got a cake at home waiting. You're going to conquer the world. (laughs) See, when I have to let let go of control of my marriage, my kids, my leadership, my relationship, this church, in order to entrust it to Jesus and be still. That's hard, somebody. That's hard. But this is the mechanism of stationary process. Have you tried to tell a kid to be still? My little boy, Justice, he is exactly like me. It's scary. You tell him to, hey, can you, can you stop moving? He'll go like this. And then you watch. He's like, No, 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 be still. Stop moving. All moving. He, he cannot help himself. To move. So many of us struggle in our relationship with Jesus because he's saying, can you just be still and abide in me? 
And you're like, wait, 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 I got this over here. He's like, no, no, I got this over here. (laughs) You don't got nothing. (laughs) Sarah, can you just be, be still for a minute? No, but I got, my, I got my kiddos over here. No, 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 you, you don't have your kiddos. I have your kiddos. But I got this job, and if I don't put 80 hours a week in, no, 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 I have your job. I gave you the job. Don't sacrifice your relationship with me because of something you're trying to keep control over. Abide in me, and I will control this. I will deal with this. I will give you what you need. Stay still. Be still. Quit moving. We don't like it, though. Stationary. Be be still. Some of you are like, if you would quit moving... (laughs) all around the stage, (laughs) drink your own medicine. (laughs) Practice what you preach. (laughs) Tell me to be still. So the Bible tells us to be still and know that he is God. Is it possible that we haven't realized that God is God because we've been moving around trying to figure out how he's God versus being still and knowing that he is God? Be still and know that I am God number four, the last one, Michelle, number four. This one, I hate for a little qualifier. Circular process is used to redirect our hearts towards him. Circular process is used to redirect our hearts towards him. Now, if there is a process that is seemingly the most negative, if I'm honest about this, these four things, it's probably this one right here. Because it's self-induced. God simply uses what we've placed ourselves in, decided ourselves into, to bring about a refining and redirection process in our lives. See, a circular process is used as a tool to redirect our hearts and our minds towards God. Two of the most, I guess, powerful statements that you can read in the Old Testament found in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse two, and Deuteronomy two, two through three. Let's look at the first one. Deuteronomy 1 verse 2 says this. It's an 11-day journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by way of the Mount Seir. Now, this is speaking about the children of Israel and the Exodus. And it's that verse right there that tells us something. It's an 11-day journey. Now, if you've read about Moses and the children of Israel, you would know they didn't take an 11-day journey, they took a 40-year journey. The Bible tells us it's 11 days. 11 days. And they kept going in circles. They turned what was a short process into an extremely long process. You ever been there before? Now watch what happens in Deuteronomy 2, 2 through 3. God's done with it. They're getting ready to transition away from Moses and to Joshua. Watch 
this. It says this, the Lord then said to me, you've been traveling around this hill country long enough. Turn north. What's he saying? Stop going in circles. But how many of you know that in that circular journey of years and years and years, God did some stuff in them? And this is the one we don't like probably the most because the circular process is used to redirect our hearts towards him. And if we're honest, there are many times in our lives where we act and do the same thing as the children of Israel did for all those years. God supplies, we rebel. God does a miracle, we're mad at him. God gives us what is needed and it's not good enough. 40 years they did this. And they just traveled in circles. And I'd venture to guess that there's some of us in here today and I know that I've done this and still do it at times. I just walk in circles. Do it my way, God. And God's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow this circle <laughs> to keep you here until you figure out that what I'm trying to do in this process that you keep trying to dodge me on is redirect your heart back to me. The question is, is when are you gonna hear his voice and say, turn north? Uh, but I like the way this thing makes me feel. I'm too weak to keep fighting this anymore. I know that there's greater potential in me, but I feel like I've invested so much into this relationship. I feel, I feel, I feel, and God's whispering the whole time, turn north. Turn north. Stop doing circles. Turn north. The circular process is used to redirect our hearts back to him. When I was about 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, I've told this story before, but I think it bears repeating. I was going in circles, partying, 15, 16 year old, partying, drugs. I was a bro. <laughs> Had my buddies, lived in Seattle, wanted to be in a band. Flannel and holy jeans. Circles, 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 circles. Went on a mission trip to Ireland. We stood in this little town called Oma. Something like that. You say it something like that. We were part of this little tiny church, hanging out there, and we we're doing some ministry work. And I'll never forget that the building, this, this church building, stood adjacent to this project housing. We stood outside and we were hanging out with locals playing basketball and soccer and things like that and just hanging with some of these kids and I'll tell you what, I got, to, I got to meet this kid that I thought was the same age as me at that point in time and I was scared of him. 16 and he was just like, he was rough, hard. In order to play games with us, he had to put down a weapon. Found out when talking to this kid after we were done playing around, he had his buddies stand over by his 
stuff. He was kind of like the leader of it all. And I found out after we got done playing around, the kid was nine. And it was in that moment that something clicked inside of me. All of a sudden, north was there. And walking in circles, and all of a sudden, north was there. This kid selling drugs and doing drugs and supplying drugs so that he could have a life, and I'm messing around and screwing around so that I could rebel against my white suburban upbringing. Can we talk real in church today? And all of a sudden, this circular process that I was going in took a hard north because all of a sudden, you've been walking in this place too long. You've been going through this process too long. Would you stop and move north? Because what I have for you is the promised land. What I have for you is blessing and security and wholeness. And I'll tell you what, I would not be standing here today if I wouldn't have met that little kid on a basketball court made of gravel in Ireland. And I think today God is shouting north at some of us right now. He's shouting north. Quit going in circles north. And so as we stand to our feet in this moment, I wonder if we could just examine our hearts.